Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Pre-Med Year, session number 453. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today, I have a great guest talking about her journey to medical school. And, and almost needing to reapply, but getting a last minute acceptance a week before her MCAT retake. She's gonna talk about being a first generation American and what that was like to go through this process and figure it out as she went through and, and really learned going from a art background, an artistic background as a dancer to wanting to be a physician. We're gonna talk all about it in one second, but before we jump in, I want to talk about the MCAT Minutes brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. And as you'll hear from our guest today, a perfect MCAT score isn't necessary to get into medical school. Now, I don't recommend everyone apply to medical school with the scores that our guest got today. But at the end of the day, they were, quote, good enough, good enough to get her into a medical school, a medical school that saw her potential based on her GPA and everything else. So when you are worried about what score do you need, there's really no answer other than a score that is good enough. Now, I don't want you to take that advice and go rest on your laurels and not study for the MCAT and think that the MCAT is a breeze because it's not. I want you to study as hard as you can, as much as you can to get as high of a score as you possibly can go check out blueprintmcat.com to help you with that MCAT prep journey. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com. Let's go ahead and say hello to our guest today. Gabby, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. When did you first know you wanted to be a physician? It's so funny because I thought it'd be the last thing I do, but life is funny that way. Um, I decided about a year and a half ago, two years ago. And, and what was it? It just what was it? Yeah. I, so I was a classical ballet dancer my entire life. Um, I'm 25, turning 26, so I retired when I was about 22, 23, and I had an extensive um, surgery. I had an, uh, stress fractures along both my tibias and had to get a pretty extensive surgery that took me out of my career and my training for six months to a year. And I was able to see like that experience opened me to healthcare. 
and my eyes in there. But I think just, it was never like one single point. It was an accumulation of events. So I just further explored that when I went back to school, obviously like love for science, of course, like it was (laughs) just very intriguing to me. But when I, you know, I volunteered at Grady Memorial Hospital, which is like the level one trauma in inner city Atlanta. So I volunteered there and I volunteered at Emory University Hospital, Johns Creek, which was more suburbia. Mm. And I'm a crisis counselor. And I just really have this love for hearing the stories that the patients would, you know, just conversating with them. Mm. And, um, and being able to use my knowledge to further, you know, help them, you know, and I was a medical assistant the last two months at an ear, nose and throat clinic before I got accepted to med school. And it's incredible the people you meet and the impact you have on their lives just by, you know, using your knowledge to help them go in the right direction because they want to improve their lives. And that just gives me a lot of satisfaction. So I just kind of rolled with it. Yeah. So when you were a professional dancer going up through the ranks and and doing all of that, it was never like, well, dance is nice, but I want to be a physician and this dancing, I'll just keep doing it while I'm studying to be a doctor. You were a professional dancer all the way. No other plan B until this injury, it sounds like. Correct thousand percent yeah what was that switch like for you having gone to school for dance and being a professional dancer forever and then all of a sudden going okay i need to take chemistry how the how the heck am i going to do in chemistry (laughs) what was that thought process like oh my gosh it was i even have like videos that my younger brother would take of me when i would sit at the kitchen table and i looked so lost but I kind of just approached it as, I mean, I was a little, I was, I don't know if intimidated is the word at first. I think, um, I was slightly intimidated, but then I was more excited because it was something new. And for my whole life, I was doing something familiar. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I kept growing as an artist, um, and as a dancer, but I hadn't really done anything like chemistry (laughs) in such a long time. So, um, you know, I kind of just went, you know, dove in head first and it was a challenge. I'm not going to deny that it was a challenge. I had to really work hard, but that was something that wasn't new to me, like working hard and putting in effort. I did that every day in the studio because Mm -hmm. that was the culture and how it was. Who did you lean on for information to to figure out what you needed to do as a aspiring pre-med student? Honestly, myself. Myself a lot. Um, I was I'm fortunate enough where I have internet and a phone and a laptop and a mom who was able to pay for Wi-Fi and I was researching all the time. I figured out my own graduation plan. I didn't really talk to, I tried to talk to an advisor at one point, but it was kind of gearing me in all sorts of directions. They were never like discouraging, but it just felt disorganized. Um, So I kind of just took that initiative and took it into my hands as soon as I went back to school and was 
you know, just sat myself down, explored different healthcare professions that I was interested in, got into shadowing, you know, made the cold emails, the cold calls. I was never really afraid of doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just kind of looked up, you know, how I would just Google medical school and then I would go how to get into medical school. And I would look at, you know, admissions websites and things like that and just kind of make sure that my degree and, you know, what I was doing would kind of line up and I would have all of it organized. So I would always do that like every semester before it started so that I had a plan. Yeah. Talk about that process. You you mentioned kind of figuring out what career fields you wanted because you're you're new to this like healthcare world. Did you look at maybe physical therapy, maybe working with other dancers or uh, other potential healthcare fields where you're maybe more directly involved with dancing versus going into medicine per se as a physician? How did you come to that conclusion? Yeah, so I did consider, I actually thought I wanted to be a physical therapist. I went into school thinking that's what I was going to do. Um, But then I kind of, as I took my classes, I found a deeper love for the material, specifically human anatomy and physiology. And I was really, really interested and doing very well. And it was actually my mom, I think, who was, who said like, oh, have you heard of physician assistant? You know, because at the time I was like, I don't know if I'm, at the time I thought I was too old to be a doctor (laughs) because in the dance uh, world, you know, being 22 is considered older. And um, so I, you know, wasn't feeling as youthful and I, all I knew was that it took a long time, but um I had explored, you know, my classes and then I started volunteering because I had switched to being, you know, pre-PA. I thought I wanted to be a PA because I really liked the responsibility aspect, like going more into medicine. I enjoyed the learning the material I had in classes. Um, and then I ended up shadowing. So I shadowed a nurse practitioner. I've shadowed a PA and then I shadowed a physician and I knew after day one. I knew I would want to go to med school because of just the experiences that I had. And I talked to him about his roles compared. And I talked to the NP and the PA about their roles. And it really just came down to me having conversations with them one-on-one, you know, in terms of like what was important to me in my life and my career and just having those conversations very authentically. Yeah. And I think that's something a lot of people don't do. They just skip to, I want to be a doctor when being an NP or being a PA would potentially suit their lifestyle better, suit their needs better. Uh, and and you get a lot of physicians who maybe are unhappy and they're the ones telling everyone, oh, just be a PA. <laughs> like that's all, that's all you need. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm glad you you did your research to figure that out. Talk about the the mindset shift from going from being a dancer, studying the arts to then getting into chemistry, obviously just, it's a completely different (laughs) subject, different use of your brain. How did you, how did you find the beginning levels of, of chemistry, biology, physics, all of that? And, 
if you struggled, what, what kind of process did you go through to improve? Yeah. So, um, it was definitely, so I like to say it was somewhat of a shift, you know, but the way I was as a professional ballet dancer and the way that I approached my classes, you know, it really wasn't all that different than the way I approached my academic courses. You know, you go in, you're focused, you leave everything social outside the classroom door and you focus on what's in front of you and you, you're there to learn, you're there to practice. And then you ask the questions and then once it's over, then, okay, you can leave the classroom or the dance studio, think about everything else on your mind. But um, in those moments, you're focused. And that's a discipline that I learned as a dancer. So a lot of the characteristics and qualities that, you know, made me, a, I would say, a strong student um, and a very active learner really came from those dance studios and the teachers I had. Um, but in terms of like science courses, like biology and malek and, you know, genetics and everything, I just tried to, I would always go into classes and I was like this in the dance studio as well. Like you go in wanting to learn how to understand, not to memorize, not to, you know, then like regurgitate it. You want to understand it. And I tried to do set up my schedule for school because I was non-traditional. So I could kind of like manipulate that how I needed. Um, you know, from bottom up learning versus like top down learning so that I would, you know, make sure I started with chemistry, like the basics, the fundamentals, and then put biology on top and then put human anatomy and physiology on top and just keep going. Um, and that seemed to work for me in my learning style because then, you know, they'll be talking about DNA, but then if you don't know what certain bonds are and you learn that in chemistry class, and then how those, you know, then you talk about different elements and different atoms. And, you know, so I really tried to manipulate my schedule in that way because I knew the type of learner I was. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing um, going into education in general, whether undergrad, med school, whatever. Try to know yourself and don't be like overwhelmed by all the other students and like how they do it. You should just be concerned about like, knowing yourself and how you learn. Yeah, that's nice. And, and it sounds like, again, all of these ties to your history as a dancer, whereas as a dancer, right, from from day one as a, a brand new ballerina, they're not doing the most intricate jumps and leaps and everything. You, you start with the basics and you layer on top and you layer on top and you layer on top, just like the educational journey. Exactly. Yeah. So that makes it a little bit easier to have that mindset that you've had. It seems like you just carried that into your studies. Talk, talk about real quick, just to give people a little bit of understanding about your background or the, the resources around you. Are, are either of your parents physicians or did they graduate college? What's, what's your kind of background there? Yeah, so uh, my mom is from Cuba and my dad was from Puerto Rico. And I have two brothers, one older, one younger. Um, I'm the only girl. So um, born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. So I'm a first-generation American, 
for my family. Um, my father did not go to college. No one in his family went to college. So first generation on that side, um, as a college student as well. My mom, she did get, she graduated from undergraduate. Um, she was a public school educator um, for elementary school, but there are no physicians in my family. Um, I think there, we have a couple nurses, mm-hmm. like I think two nurses in my family, um, but no physicians, no PAs, no NPs, um, no PhDs. Yeah. Um, Got it. it yeah. No. So it was, it's definitely been, and my, and single, mother household so my parents divorced when i was about 12 and completely estranged from my father's side so it was um you know a single mom with three kids two so my both of my brothers also had um certain disabilities as well so there's healthcare bills there and um you know it was definitely something you had to or i had to learn how to balance and work with yeah Talk about, you mentioned earlier, cold calling, cold emailing. A lot of students are afraid of this part of the process where I need shadowing hours. I don't know any physicians and I'm too scared to reach out or I don't know how to reach out or I don't know if if I should email or call or show up or stalk or whatever, right? <laughs> how How did you figure out and and what was the process for you in terms of like how you figured out if you should call or email and and what what did you say during these conversations to try to get some experiences yeah so i think there are several ways to kind of go about it some of the ways that i used um you know i can understand like if you're nervous you haven't done it before and you don't know how to approach it so what i did um i went on facebook and I looked up pre-med groups, you know, and you can join a group on Facebook. Like I know we have your, your pre-med hangout, of course. The but, best um, one. There were course. other groups. No, we don't yes. need to talk about the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there were other groups. And when I was looking to shadow PAs at the time too, there was one for that. And there are practicing physicians and PAs in there. And you can just make a post and be like, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so. I live in this area. You know, I'm very interested in wanting to learn more and expand my knowledge to see if this is a career I'm interested in. If anyone would be willing to get in touch with me, like to set to arrange like a day of shadowing or something like that, they'll PM you, you know, and they're, or you could, or if they like it and they say, Hey, like reach out to me and you can reach out to them. Um, that's one way I did it too, because I am the first in my family. Like, I don't know anyone. I didn't, I know a lot of filmmakers and ballet dancers. I don't know many doctors. Um, so that was one way I did it. Also going to small clinics, like, you know, if you don't want to just walk up into a big old hospital or, you know, something just, and I know it's hard with COVID and that whole situation, but going into a small clinic and, you know, asking if, you know, you could have a contact number, at least if you don't want to, you know, if they can't speak in person, if the physician can't meet or, um, or an email or something. I emailed 
I mean, I think I kind of, I guess I got lucky. I'm not sure. But I mean, every time on my first shot, like they were responsive. So I've had a very good experience in terms of getting contacts to shadow. Um, you just explain, you just be who you are and you just tell them up front that you're genuinely curious and you want some experience. Nice, nice. When it came to kind of figuring out your timeline as you're as you're initially starting this journey one of the kind of overwhelming parts of being a non-traditional pre-med student especially someone in your shoes where you didn't do any of the kind of science courses to begin with is is the daunting timeline of like I, all of these classes the mcat the applications when when you first got to that point and, and said okay it's going to take these like this many years what what was that like for you to realize how long it was going to take? So I think like at first when I remember back, I was, I'm not even going to lie. I think I even like cried about it because it was just so, it was, it was daunting. It was, I was already 22 and, you know, to finish undergrad. So I went every semester full time, fall, spring, summer, fall, spring, summer. I just graduated this past May. So I basically, and I only had to do science courses. So I was a full-time student doing only my pre-med science courses for the last like two years. <laughs> and, you know, thinking that I was on a timeline. And I think like, as I went along and as life happens, you kind of realize your time is going to go either way. You should do what you're passionate about regardless. Um, because that that did frighten me a little bit. I had that heart to heart, even with like my mom, who, you know, had her own concerns too, thinking, you know, it's a long road. But I told her and she completely understood because it was a similar conversation when I wanted to pursue dance professionally. It was a very long road. But if you're passionate about it, if your heart is there, time will go anyway. You should do it. So I think when I accepted that mentality again, and I was not really like afraid of it anymore and um, really started to enjoy it. Honestly, I used to think that being non-traditional was like a setback for mm -hmm. me for a, a while. I really did. I was believing it. And even when I, even sometimes like before I got accepted to med school, because I was, I mean, my application for this cycle now is, submitted like I was ready um to reapply and I was thinking oh it's because I'm non-traditional and you know I come from all these different experiences but you have to have that like confidence you know that this is but in the I looked at it you know even though I'm not traditional like I know healthcare needs more physicians who are non-traditional who have a lot of more life experience behind them too because when I was working as a medical assistant or volunteering, that's who you're treating. You're treating people from all walks of life. And so the more you have of that in the system, I feel like that could be a, benef a big benefit yeah. in terms of care. Yeah, there, there's always this thought that being a non-traditional student is a hindrance, is, is a negative thing. And it's, it's just quite 
obvious that it's it's the opposite once you get on to the <laughs> other side. And and obviously there there are red flags potentially for non-traditional students, but that just being a non-traditional student alone is is not a red flag and just all the experiences that you're bringing to the table are important. But but let's talk about the application process because you submitted your next application already. You were gearing up to take the MCAT again. <laughs> Why do you think you got so late in the application cycle with not hearing anything until eventually you got that acceptance? I probably know exactly why. It was probably my MCAT. (laughs) Um, Because I felt quite confident. And I look back over my application from the last cycle, the one that got me in now, uh, because I had the cycle now I had rewritten my personal statement a bit, a good bit. I had different experiences to add. Like I went through it again, you know? So, um, but the application from last cycle that got me in, um, I was pretty confident in my experiences and what I could bring to the table. My GPA I think was 3.79. So I think it was pretty solid. Um, I graduated with honors and, I had all, all A's and all the prerequisites. Like I, so that was solid, but my MCAT, I definitely did not do great on. I think I, I think I got a 494, 495. And I didn't, and I'm very transparent about that. Um, but I know why. I definitely bit off more than I could chew mm-hmm. um, when, you know, I kind of just jumped into applying to med school and I was ready in all the other uh, ways, but I hadn't, I was trying to study for my MCAT over the summer, last summer, then COVID hit. <laughs> so we had a <laughs> pandemic. Um, I had to study for my MCAT. I was taking biochem one and physics one at the same time. And I was a TA for bio two. Mm. All over the summer. And I was also a caregiver for my grandfather who had Parkinson's. Yeah. So I had a good bunch on my plate. I ended up having to withdraw from biochem because I knew it was, I didn't want a bad grade on my transcript. I'd rather take a W than an F. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the only W on my transcript. Um, And that was really hard. I cried over that um, because I was just the kind of person where I can push through, I can push through, but there are just moments. And that's a lesson I learned where you have to know yourself and your boundaries and what is feasible for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and a pandemic certainly ch- changed the way I, you know, I had to figure so many things out um, being an online learner now. And so, um, and I tried to study for my MCAT, but you know, all the while I'm, caring for my grandpa and like having to think about work and doing all these other things. And so I think that I'm not blaming it on them or all those other factors, but I am saying like having too much on my plate at that time, you know, it was just a, I know I could have done better. And so that's what I did is I knew when I got my score back, I'd have, I just automatically assumed I'd have to reapply. I got rejections from all the schools i had i applied to i think like 15 schools Mm -hmm. um got rejections from all of them and then i just kind of assumed i have to enroll in like a princeton review 
MCAT course, I couldn't, I didn't know what to do because I knew that was probably what was holding me back. Yeah. So talk about the, the thought process or the, the strategy, study strategy going into the first test. Obviously a lot on your plate, physics one, biochem that you eventually dropped two very big topics for the MCAT. Did you, mm-hmm. did you know that those were going to be pretty heavy hitter subjects on the MCAT? And you're like, ah, I, I need this time schedule. So it doesn't really matter. This is just what I have to do. Or did you potentially think about delaying the MCAT and just delaying applying a year so that you could fit it all in appropriately? This kind of comes back to what you mentioned earlier about timelines And I let that get the best of me and I rushed it and you shouldn't do that. (laughs) And I'm saying that so loud and clear, do not rush, do it once, do it right. Um, Do it when you're ready. I knew biochem and physics would be on the MCAT, but I figured, oh, if I'm taking it while I'm studying, it's technically studying. No, Um, (laughs) I taught myself the amino acids because I withdrew from biochem but I was like, oh, it's still going to be on here. I still need to know them. So I taught them to myself, but, you know, it's, it was, it's difficult, you know, it's not impossible. I don't like to say things are impossible because everyone's different, but for me, it was not going to work. Um, so yeah, I did know that they were, those two topics were on the MCAT and I was still going for it anyway. And looking back, it wasn't my wisest decision. Mm. When you got your score back, what what month was that in this process? Yeah, so because of COVID, my test kept getting pushed. So mm-hmm. I think I was scheduled originally for August 1st, and then it got pushed to August 12th, and then it got pushed to September 1st or something. Okay. Um, and they had the expedited scoring, too. Yeah. Oh, so kind of them, um, isn't it? <laughs> oh, so kind. Oh. So grateful. Um, so, and it was the five and a half hour test. It wasn't like mm-hmm. the seven and a half. Yeah. So it was different. It was definitely yeah. different. Um, so you didn't so get I got your score, score back until October. Yeah, or end, end of October. September. Yeah. Like end of September, I yeah. think. Okay. So y- you get your score back. Was your application already submitted at that point? Yes, I completely gambled, Dr. Greg. Okay, that, that's okay. Um, that's where the <laughs> applying to one school trick kind of comes into play there. Um, so you mm-hmm. you get your score back. What, what was your your attitude when you got your score back? I, it's interesting because like I cried for maybe five minutes and then I was like, but I'm not surprised. It was like a very strange feeling. It was, I'm upset, but I'm not surprised because I knew what I was doing wasn't going to work, but I kept trying anyway because I thought, oh, well, maybe luck will come in my favor and maybe I won't get all the physics on the test and maybe, maybe, no. (laughs) Um, I think, I yeah, I was sad for a little bit and then I got over it. I think after like, a day or two, immediately I jumped to, okay, I have to think about reapplying. I have to look at a prep course. I need to figure out how I'm going to afford that. And I need to do it. Mm -hmm. I felt like 
you know, you can be sad for a minute. And then I just kept thinking about, okay, well, how am I, what's the new way I'm going to make this work? Mm -hmm. Like, what's my new plan? Yeah. So had you all but given up on the last application cycle? Oh, I completely gave up. Yeah. So (laughs) after, after I got that. So when did this interview invite come? Yeah. So that was a complete surprise. I got that interview invite late April. Wow. Really late. (laughs) Really late. Like really late. (laughs) Hey, I didn't know you were still thinking about me late. Yeah. Like really late. I remember I was in a meeting or something and I look at my phone. I thought it was spam. And I go, Oh my gosh. And I like (laughs) left the meeting for a moment and I like ran outside. I saw, I was like, started crying. I cry a lot apparently. Um, but yeah, that was about late April. Wow. And, and so just out of the blue and how, how fast like turnaround time was your interview? Was it pretty quick turnaround from when you got notified? They told me, I think that was on a, I had two days to prepare. I think that was on a Monday. (laughs) I got the interview invite and then Wednesday at noon was my interview. Wow. So on Tuesday, I had to go find a suit because it was virtual, but I still had to like go, you know, find a suit. <laughs> suit and top at least. Have my interview questions. And yeah. How, how did that interview go? Obviously only having a day to prepare, a day or whatever to prepare. And, and then really knowing in the back of your mind with that MCAT score, you're like, why are you even interested in me? Yeah. And honestly, like, even today, sometimes like I'll be talking to um, a friend and he snaps me out of it very quickly. But <laughs> I'm like, how, how is this a joke? still? like I'm in, but I'm like, is this a joke? Because, yeah. you know, it was just, I was not proud of that score, but um, I, I don't know. The interview went really well. Did and they, I knew, did they mention your score at all? No, so it was a blind interview. Oh, that's the best kind for for yeah. that score. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> but, and it came out though. I knew mm. it was blind, but I don't know. It came out because we were, ta- I don't remember what we were talking about. But all I mentioned was, you know, I had not performed as well as I had hoped on my exam, mm. but I had taken the steps to retake it, mm. you know, and I took a course. Like I explained like, you know, this was, there was a lot on my plate. I explained I was just very authentic in it about it. You know, I, I was just honest. Yeah. And I was like, you know, this was in my way and this is what happened. I didn't do as well as I had hoped. However, this is what I'm doing and this is what I did. And I'm scheduled for this and to retake. And I left it there. What was it like to get that acceptance? It was kind of unreal. I was, um, I was at work. I was a medical assistant and I was in clinic and I was in between patients and I it was kind of slow that morning. I checked my phone. I saw I had an email and I look at it. I read it and I'm at like the nurse's station, which is, or like where we all have our laptops and the docs were there too. I go, Oh my God, I just got into medical school. And they go, what? And I go, do I go? and I just kind of like froze I was like this can't be real um and so obviously was very happy I after work went home and I only had three days to decide if I was going to go wow 
So I, so after my interview, I had gotten waitlisted. I don't know if I mentioned that. No. So after my interview, I got waitlisted, which I assumed would happen if I was interviewed that late. Yep. Um, but then I got off the waitlist a week before my MCAT retake, which I think that timing was just crazy. Um, and when I got off that waitlist and when I was at work and I saw that, I was obviously very, very happy, a little like sh- still very like stunned. I remember going home and like getting a cake, like a cookie cake saying I got into med school on it and giving it to my mom. Yeah. <laughs> and we just ate cookie cake that night <laughs> um, for dinner. It's fine. Um, but it felt really, it felt really good. I don't, and it's interesting. Like I applied to a bunch of schools. Obviously I applied to schools I could potentially see myself at, but mm-hmm. like, you know, I didn't think like this was a school I would actually end up at, but I look at my whole history, like as a person, as a pre-med and non-trad and everything, I go, when is it ever the way, when did it ever go the way I thought it would? Not, not really ever, but was I always where I was supposed to be? Yes. Was it always the right thing? Yes. So I kind of just because I had three days to kind of decide, am I going to still take my MCAT? Am I going to reapply? Maybe go somewhere else. And um, that's a big decision to put down an $800 deposit in three days and make that decision. Yeah, um, let's let's talk about that because a lot of students reach out to me in very similar situations and they'll they'll question whether or not they should go they'll they'll question because it's an osteopathic school and and will I be disadvantaged later and well I I know that I can do better on the MCAT and I'm scheduled to take it in a week so maybe I should just retake the MCAT and and reapply to medical school is that kind of the thought process that you went through to try to figure out like like should should I go should I not like what what were your concerns accepting an acceptance to medical school Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, those were my concerns. I've had nothing to do with the fact, I think it was osteopathic. I think it was the fact that I wanted to make sure as a DO physician, I would have the same opportunities as an MD physician. Um, And so I took those three days or two days to speak with the physician I worked for, who I worked at an all MD ENT practice. So I spoke with them and, um, I spoke with, um, another, I spoke with actually a graduate from that school, the school I got into, um, over the phone for two hours, um, who is starting an internal medicine residency here in Atlanta Mm -hmm. and just got a lot of insight. You know, I asked about specific, you know, tests and exams or opportunities and research and how, if at all, was it different? and how did it affect matching and to residencies and things like that and I'm very passionate about academic medicine so like that's what I kind of geared my questions towards um and once I got those questions answered and basically found out there was literally no difference because no matter what med school you go to you're going to work hard it doesn't matter it's that's school um and you will have the same jobs, the same opportunities. And so I think when I got that out, 
my chest and had those conversations, I was like, okay, I think, I think I'm going to go because I, what is the point? And, and I considered like, if I didn't, like, where would I go or where would I want to go? Where would I see myself? And I didn't really have a clear answer. So I said, Hey, why not? You know, and this is all I, I wanted to be a physician period. Like I want to be a physician, how I get there, the world will let me know. But as long as I get there, I'm, I'm happy. So. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So you're there, you start medical school soon. I don't know if you've you've done orientation (laughs) yet or not, but you're, you're there. What, what's the, the kind of feeling like that, that this is the next part of the journey, um, that, that you're getting to this level and, and compared a little bit potentially to your professional dance, right? In, in professional dance, there's, there's something you're shooting for to be the, the, the lead dancer. I forget the the name of the, the lead dancer in, in like the Nutcracker or Swan Lake yeah. or whatever. Right. <laughs> um, and, and that's you now you're in medical school. That's, that's kind of the, the level you've gotten to here. What does that feel like? This, I mean, I think I, I start orientation starts in like three weeks, I believe. So I just moved into an apartment um, about two days ago. So this is, I've lived at home my whole life, um, except for those two years in North Carolina, at UNC School of the Arts. And, um, you know, it's an adjustment. It feels good. Um, a lot of change. Like I have a car, I have an apartment, I'm you know, I'm looking at, you know, things to buy for school. So like first aid and, you know, all the things you need to get and already thinking a little bit about research and things I'm interested in. And it was, it's a lot of change at once, but it feels good because it's like that nice little limbo. Like I can say I'm a med student, but I don't really have to study yet. I can kind of like (laughs) relax right now, but, um, it feels really good. Because now I feel like, um, I mean, I don't know. I felt this way as a pre-med as well. And I don't know why, but I felt now I can start. But when I approached my pre-med courses, and I think that's what helped me do very well in them, um, I said, now I can start in then. Like anytime I took a genetics class or my A&P classes, I said to myself, you know, know this now, work hard now. So it's easier later, Mm -hmm. you know, like approach every class, like very diligently, like very, uh, what's the word just like with purpose intentionally. And so that later down the line, like I'm now going to med school, I already have a wealth of knowledge on human anatomy and physiology or biochem or something, because I really learned to understand it in my pre-med courses in undergrad. So now going into med school, I have that understanding. Let's go further. Like we can add those layers now. Mm. So it's not as overwhelming if I had just like memorized it in undergrad and completely forgot it. And now I have to relearn it all over again. That's kind of stressful. (laughs) So um definitely feeling really excited. I was very nervous at first, but I think it's normal to feel some kind of nervous and I don't know if I had a little doubt too, but yeah. now that it's closer, I'm like this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. 
That's awesome. For students who are in a similar situation to where you were at, getting ready to retake an MCAT, reapplying to medical school, potentially thinking that this this isn't meant to be for them, what words of wisdom do you have for them? Anything you want is meant for you. <laughs> um, you know, you know yourself. I think like the biggest thing for me in my journey so far has always come back to myself. It was never a matter of, am I smart enough? Am I this enough? It's always, you have to trust yourself. You have to trust yourself that you did study, you put in the work or you didn't, but you have to be honest with yourself about it. So if you're going to take an MCAT and you know, your practice scores aren't growing great, or, you know, you're not doing what you should be doing to prepare Like, don't rush it. Just, take the time time will go anyway do it once and do it well and do it right um you know i feel when i was pre-med not really seeing anyone like me you know above me doing it was kind of like at heart at first but then instead of letting that scare me i kind of just let it inspire me instead like let it motivate me oh, there's not this instead of, oh, I could never do it. How about, well, why can't I, you know, kind of attitude. So I think that's a really, that's the mindset that's carried me through so far. And hopefully that carries me through med school too, because it's another, that's going to be another four years <laughs> of fun. So. Well, congratulations. You, you deserve it. All of the hard work you've put in. Uh, the perseverance and and ultimately receiving that acceptance is is proof that you're meant to be where you're at. So good luck to you in medical school and, and in the future. And thanks for coming on and giving hopefully some other students some hope. Like I think you received listening to two podcasts on your journeys to school and yes. stuff uh, way back in the day. Oh, feels like yesterday. Believe me. All right. So there you have it. A great, wonderful conversation with our guest, Gabby, talking about her journey as a first-generation American to medical school, struggling with the MCAT, but really making a huge transition, going from the artistic world as a dancer to then wanting to be a physician. Hopefully, this gives you some inspiration and encouragement on your journey to medical school. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.